A few years ago, Keith managed to con me into climbing a mountain with him called Ben Clibrek, which is right up in the very north of Scotland. It took us about eight hours in total, and it turned out to be one of the hottest and sunniest days in the north of Scotland on record. Here's a picture of me on the top just to prove that I did actually make it, and it, it should be up on the screen for you. Now, Keith's a really experienced hill walker, so he'd made sure that we had all the right gear and plenty of water. In fact, we had as much water as we could physically carry, and Keith even had one of those pipes from his backpack which he uh, could drink his water out of, which I'd never seen before. Pretty uh, kind of clever stuff. But it was so hot that we actually ran out of water as we came back down the mountain. And as we headed back down, we could see this solitary house at the bottom, which was the only building for miles and miles around. And, and you can see it on the picture uh, here behind us. But well, we were so thirsty that all we could think about was an ice cold drink. You know, when your tongue is sticking, literally sticking to the top, uh, to the roof of your mouth. That's what we were like as we walked back down the mountain. And as we as we came back down, we began to consider how much we would be prepared to pay the people in that house down at the bottom if they would come out and give us an ice cold coke i mean can you imagine when you're so thirsty and then somebody comes out and says would you like one of these well once we started thinking like that it, it wasn't really very helpful because we became obsessed by it and when you're parched and you've got nothing to drink and it's hot and you're sweating like crazy it's amazing how appealing an ice cold Coke like this uh, appears. By the way, other uh, colas are available. We're not product endorsing. But it's amazing just how nice this would appear uh, when it's so hot. And the thought of somebody coming out with an ice cold Coke like this and just quenching our thirst. Oh, it was just it just began to take over and it became an obsession. And I think we decided we would pretty much be prepared to pay as much as 50 pound each if the people in the cottage came out with an ice cold Coke like this for us. Mm. Oh, it would have been so good. But the trouble is, once you start down that road of thinking about something like an ice cold drink when you're so thirsty and so hot, it quickly becomes an obsession. It's hard to think about anything else at all. Well, needless to say, when we got to the cottage, there was nobody there. Nobody came out to offer us an ice, an ice cold Coke. In fact, in fact, I think the cottage was actually empty. When we got back to the car, which was just beyond the cottage, all we had in the car was a single bottle of what was now really quite warm water. It did quench our thirst temporarily, but it really wasn't what we'd been hoping for or what we'd have liked. And the Bible often uses the concept of physical thirst or our physical, our physical thirst for water as a picture of our spiritual thirst for God or our need of God. Psalm 42 says this, as the deer pants for streams of water, so my soul pants for you, my God. My soul thirsts for God, the living God. And Psalm 107 verse 9 says, he, that's God, satisfies the thirsty and fills the hungry with good things. Just as we get thirsty and become desperate for something to quench our spiritual thirst, so in life, each one of us has a deep need, a spiritual thirst that only God can satisfy. Now, people try and satisfy that spiritual thirst by filling their lives with all kinds of things, money, sex, relationships, power, careers, qualifications, titles, possessions, and even religion. But the only thing and actually the only person that truly quenches our thirst and, and satisfies our need and that deep desire within us is God himself. 
He is like living water that quenches our spiritual thirst and in the process gives us eternal life. And that's because we were created by God to live in relationship with God. Just as our bodies need physical water, so our souls, the real us inside of us, needs God. We were designed for that. And when Jesus came, God who had come as human, as a human being, when Jesus came, he presented himself both as the one who was himself the life-giving water and also the one who gives that life-giving water. On one occasion in John 7, a bit further on from where we're studying today, Jesus said these words, let anyone who is thirsty come to me and drink. Whoever believes in me, as scripture has said, rivers of living water will flow from within them. By this, he meant the spirit whom those who believed in him were later to receive. So Jesus is both the living water that quenches our spiritual thirst and he's the one through whom we receive the living water. Now we're working our way through John's gospel, the Apostle John's uh, account of the life of Jesus. And today we're looking at John chapter four. And in John four, we see where Jesus meets a woman by a well. Jesus was thirsty for physical water, but the woman was thirsty for spiritual water, even though she didn't realize it. Jesus and his disciples were traveling north from Jerusalem back up to Galilee in the north. And they had to travel through the region of Samaria, which is where the Samaritan people lived. And the Jews and the Samaritans hated each other from 1404 BC until 90, sorry, until 930 BC. The nation of Israel had been united. It'd been one united country, 12 tribes, but one king and one united kingdom. But then the nation had split into two with the two southern tribes of Judah and Benjamin splitting off from the northern tribes. And from then on, the tribes of Judah and Benjamin were just generally known as Judah, the kingdom of Judah, and the people from those two tribes became known as the Jews. Now in 722 BC, the, the northern 10 tribes of Israel were defeated by the Assyrian Empire, and most of the people were taken off into captivity, and lots of foreigners were brought in and intermarried, so that the people that were there then, and, and by the time that Jesus gets to Samaria, in uh, today's passage, the people that were there were uh, a, a real mixed bag of people. They were of mixed race and their religion was a kind of faulty mixture of Judaism and all sorts of other pagan religions mixed in with it. So because of this, the Jews looked down on the Samaritans. In fact, they, they really did detested them and they'd have nothing to do with them. They weren't proper Israelites and they didn't believe all the right things. If you were a first century Jewish man, you wouldn't have a great view of women in general. You would have an even lower view of a Samaritan and an even lower view of a Samaritan woman. And yet when we get to John chapter four, we find Jesus talking to a Samaritan woman by a well and asking her for a drink. And in that culture, in the culture of that day and of that time, that is a really outrageous thing to do. Jesus and his disciples arrived at what was called Jacob's well. When the sun was at its hottest, it was about midday, what the Jews called the sixth hour by their um, system of timekeeping. And here's a picture of Jacob's well today. It's actually got a monastery built over it now, but it had been out and it would have been out in the open when Jesus was there. And Jesus sat down at the well because he was tired and he was thirsty. He'd probably been uh, on the go now with his disciples for about five or six hours uh, since the dawn. And as Jesus' disciples went off into the local town, Sica, to, to buy some food for lunch, Jesus sat down by the well and a Samaritan woman came to get some water from the well. And while she was there, Jesus asked her for a drink. Now, this was an outrageous thing to do. 
He was a Jewish man. She was a Samaritan woman. But there's much more going on than just that. Normally, the women, the women of the town would have come out to the well in a group at first light when it was caught. They'd come out together in a group. But here was this woman on her own and at midday. Why? Well, she was a social outcast. The rest of the women in Sica probably had nothing to do with her. And that's because she was considered by the people there to be a deeply immoral woman. She was living with a man that she wasn't married to and that that was just completely and utterly socially unacceptable in first century Samaria or Judea. Not only that, but she'd been married five times already. And because she'd been unfaithful to each one of those husbands, each one of them had then gone on to divorce her. Nobody in Sica wanted anything to do with this woman. She was damaged goods and she was a complete outcast and she knew it. And that's why she was there on her own at midday when there'd be nobody else there. So we're going to read about this strange encounter between Jesus and this Samaritan woman. It's in John chapter four. We're going to read from verses one to 30 and then we're going to skip ahead a little bit to verses 39 to 42. And the bit in between, Joel is going to be dealing with us, uh, dealing with us uh, for us next week when Joel preaches. So if you've got a Bible, we're going to turn to John chapter four and we're going to read verses one to 30 and then verses 39 to 42. This is what uh, John the Apostle, as he writes this account, says in John 4, verse 1. The Pharisees heard that Jesus was gaining and baptizing more disciples than John, although in fact it was not Jesus who baptized, but his disciples. When the Lord learned of this, he left Judea and went back once more to Galilee. Now he had to go through Samaria. So he came to a town in Samaria called Sychar, near the plot of ground Jacob had given to his son Joseph. Jacob's well was there. And Jesus, tired as he was from the journey, sat down by the well. It was about the sixth hour, midday, in other words. When a Samaritan woman came to draw water, Jesus said to her, will you give me a drink? His disciples had gone into the town to buy food. The Samaritan woman said to him, you are a Jew and I'm a Samaritan woman. How can you ask me for a drink? For Jews do not associate with Samaritans. Jesus answered her, if you knew the gift of God, and who it is that asks you for a drink, you would have asked him and he would have given you living water. So the woman said, you have nothing to draw with and the well is deep. Where can you get this living water? Are you greater than our father Jacob, who gave us the well and drank from it himself, as did also his sons and his flocks and herds? Jesus answered, everyone who drinks this water will be thirsty again. But whoever drinks the water I give him will never thirst. Indeed, the water I give him will become in him a spring of water welling up to eternal life. The woman said to him, sir, give me this water so that I won't get thirsty and have to keep coming here to draw water. He told her, go call your husband and come back. I have no husband, she replied. Jesus said to her, you are right when you say you have no husband. The fact is you have had five husbands and the man you have now is not your husband. What you have just said is quite true. So the woman said, I can see that you are a prophet. Our fathers worshipped on this mountain, but you Jews claim that the place where we must worship is in Jerusalem. Jesus declared, believe me, woman, a time is coming when you will worship the father neither on this mountain nor in Jerusalem. You Samaritans worship what you do not know. We worship what we do know, for salvation is from the Jews. Yet a time is coming and has now come when the true worshippers will worship the Father in spirit and truth, for they are the kind of worshippers the Father seeks. God is spirit, 
and his worshippers must worship in spirit and in truth. The woman said, I know that Messiah called Christ is coming. When he comes, he will explain everything to us. Then Jesus declared, I who speak to you am he. Just then his disciples returned and were surprised to find him talking with a woman. But no one asked, what do you want or why are you talking with her? Then leaving her water jar, the woman went back to the town and said to the people, come see a man who told me everything I ever did. Could this be the Christ? And down to verse 39. Many of the Samaritans from that town believed in him because of the woman's testimony. He told me everything I ever did. So when the, Sar when the Samaritans came to him, they urged him to stay with them. And he stayed two days. And because of his words, many more became believers. They said to the woman, we no longer believe just because of what you said. Now we have heard for ourselves and we know that this man really is the savior of the world. When Jesus asked this lady for a drink, she expressed her complete amazement. He was a Jewish man and she was a Samaritan woman. But Jesus says something to her that she doesn't expect or really understand at first. Jesus answered her, if you knew the gift of God and who it is that asks you for a drink, you would have asked him and he would have given you living water. She's still thinking physical water because both she and Jesus are physically thirsty. But Jesus is referring to spiritual water, living water, the living water that Jesus both is and gives. Look at what she says in response to him. Sir, the woman said, you have nothing to draw with and the well is deep. Where can you get this living water? Are you greater than our father Jacob, who gave us the well and drank from it himself, as did also his sons and his flocks and herds? How is Jesus going to give her this living water? He doesn't have a bucket and the well apparently was about 100 feet deep. Does he think that he's greater than Jacob, the founder of the nation of Israel, the one who dug this well 1,800 years earlier? She's still thinking physical water. So this time Jesus says, everyone who drinks this water will be thirsty again. But whoever drinks the water I give them will never thirst. Indeed, the water I give them will become in them a spring of water welling up to eternal life. Jesus is presenting himself to her as the one who can satisfy her deepest need and her deepest longing, her spiritual thirst. Just like Jacob's well was and is fed by a perpetual spring so that it is never empty. So Jesus is saying that he is the never ending source of life that satisfies our deepest spiritual thirst. Jesus gently and graciously leads her, even though she's still not really getting it. The woman said to him, sir, give me this water so that I won't get thirsty and have to keep coming here to draw uh, water. She, she's still thinking physical water. Or maybe she's beginning to sense that Jesus is talking about something more than just physical water. But then having created this tension around physical water and uh, physical water that only quenches our thirst for a while and living water that eradicates spiritual thirst. Jesus then leaves that and he changes tack. He told her, go call your husband and come back. I have no husband, she replied. Jesus said to her, you're right when you say you have no husband. The fact is you've had five husbands and the man that you have now is not your husband. What you've just said is quite true. Jesus was Gently helping this lady to see that her lifestyle was showing 
just how spiritually needy and thirsty she really was. She needed the spiritual water that Jesus was offering her. If we put all the pieces together in this passage, we can see that she had spent her life just going from one man to the next man. Five marriages, all ending in divorce because in each marriage she committed adultery. And that had happened at least once. And so each husband had divorced her. And now she's living with the sixth man and he's not her husband. This lady's lifestyle showed that she was desperately trying to quench her spiritual thirst and hunger through relationships with men. She demonstrated her desire for love and acceptance by throwing herself at every man that would have her. But of course, these relationships didn't deliver what she was looking for. Now, she's totally different to Nicodemus back in John chapter three that we looked at a few weeks ago. And yet she's just the same. He was trying to quench his spiritual thirst by being religious. She was trying to do it through physical relationships with men. He was Mr. Upright and upstanding and respectable, but he still needed to be born again and have that spiritual life that only Jesus can give. She was Miss Social Outcast, Miss Socially Unacceptable, Miss Messed Up Life. And she needed the living water that Jesus brings, just as Nicodemus did. Two people, very different lifestyles, both having the same need, the same need for Jesus. You see, everybody is actually spiritually thirsty and everybody tries to quench to quench that spiritual thirst by filling their lives with different things. Some fill it with religion, some fill it with sex or relationships or money or status. And Jesus gently leads this lady to the point where she realizes that actually her deepest need is not another man. Her deepest need is to have a relationship with God through Jesus. And that is the deepest need that each one of us still has today. And this passage shows us two things. Firstly, no matter who we are, only Jesus can truly satisfy our spiritual thirst. Whether you're Mr. Religious, whether you're Miss Serial Relationship, whoever we are, however we live, we all need Jesus. And secondly, no matter how much we we made a mess of our lives trying to satisfy that spiritual thirst and hunger, Jesus is bigger than any sin we've ever committed or ever can commit. This lady had made a total mess of her life, but she was not beyond Jesus' love and forgiveness. And maybe today you can identify with this woman, with this lady, or maybe you're more like Nicodemus, or maybe you're somewhere in between. Regardless of what your life looks like now, what it's been filled with in the past, your greatest need in life is for the forgiveness and the eternal life that Jesus offers and only Jesus can bring. Now, as Jesus demonstrates his supernatural knowledge of her life, both her past and her present, she realizes that he's a prophet or maybe even the prophet, the Messiah or the Taheb, as the uh, Samaritans called him. But as people often do when they're starting to feel a bit uncomfortable because the conversation's getting a little bit too close for comfort, she, she changed the subject and she flipped on to something theological. Sir, the woman said, I can see that you're a prophet. Our fathers worshipped on this mountain, but you Jews claim that the place where we must worship is in Jerusalem. And the Samaritans only accepted the first five books of the Old Testament uh, as being from God. So they didn't accept the commands of God in the rest of the Old Testament to build the temple in Jerusalem, which is where it was 
then built. Instead, they had built a temple on Mount Gerizim, which was the hill right behind Jacob's well, where Jesus and this lady were sitting and, and, and talking. So she was basically wanting to know who was right. Was it the Jews or was it the Samaritans? I think really she was less interested in the real answer and more just trying to kind of sh sort of shift the focus away from the spotlight that Jesus was shining on the significance of her failed love life. Look at how Jesus answers her. Jesus declared, believe me, woman, a time is coming when you will worship the father neither on this mountain nor in Jerusalem. You Samaritans worship what you do not know. We worship what we do know for salvation is from the Jews. The Samaritans' knowledge of God was limited because they rejected most of the Old Testament. They worshipped what they did not know, as Jesus puts it. The Jews, on the other hand, had a much greater knowledge of God because of the Old Testament. And God's method of salvation was to send his one and only son to be born into the Jewish race, the Messiah. Salvation is from the Jews, says Jesus. Jesus was a Jew. But even their place of worship, the temple in Jerusalem, was going to become redundant. Why? Because the time of Jesus' death, resurrection, ascension back to heaven where he'd be glorified was coming. This time, this special, unique time or this hour was imminent. And when Jesus returned to heaven, he would pour out the Holy Spirit on all those who would trust in him. And then it wouldn't matter where a person was when they worship God. They wouldn't need a special building because God will be living in them through the power of the Holy Spirit if they put their faith and trust and belief in Jesus as the Messiah. And the presence of the Holy Spirit in a person's life means that they come alive spiritually and they're able to live in relationship with God for all eternity. A time is coming, Jesus says, and has now come when the true worshippers will worship the Father in the Spirit and in truth. For they are the kind of worshippers the Father seeks. God is spirit and his worshippers must worship in the spirit and in truth. According to Jesus, true worshippers are not those that are attached to a particular place, whether that's Jerusalem or, or Gerizim like the Samaritans. But they are those that worship in the spirit and in truth. God is not a physical being. He is spirit. So where God is worshipped physically worshipped is irrelevant. What is relevant is whether or not that person is connected to God by the Holy Spirit. And the way that a person is connected to God by the Holy Spirit is by trusting in Jesus and what he's accomplished in dying on the cross for our sins, taking the punishment for you and for me, and in rising again and conquering death. And it's belief in Jesus, in what he, in who he is and what he's done. And when we do that, when we place our faith and trust in Jesus, then we are filled with the Holy Spirit. To worship in the spirit is another way of saying to be born of the spirit or to be born again or to be born from above. And having that experience enables a person to know God and worship him. Unless a person is born of the spirit, they cannot see the kingdom of God. We saw that in John 3. They can't see God himself and therefore they can't have a relationship with him and they can't worship him. And Jesus is the one who enables the outpouring and the transforming work of the Holy Spirit to take place by dying for our sins, by rising from the dead and ascending back to heaven to be glorified. When a person trusts in Jesus, they're filled with the Holy Spirit and they become the Spirit's home, the Holy Spirit's temple, if you like. Our spirit is joined with the Holy Spirit, joined with God himself. In 1 Corinthians 6 verse 19, we read 
Uh, these words, do you not know, talking to Christians, talking to those who trusted in Jesus, do you not know that your bodies are temples of the Holy Spirit who is in you, whom you've received from God? And that means that there's no need for a physical building or for physical things to worship God. See, Christianity is a relationship. It's not a religion. We don't need physical things to worship God. We don't need a special building. In fact, we don't need a building at all. When we trust in Jesus, we're filled with the Holy Spirit. We become brand new people. We're born again. It's the Holy Spirit then within us that enables us to relate to God as our father. And it's Jesus' life and his death and his resurrection and ascension to heaven that makes the giving of the Holy Spirit possible. And isn't that fantastic? Because that means that I can meet with God and worship him at any time and in any place because the Holy Spirit is alive in me. And that's why whilst lockdown has been a pain, it hasn't stopped church. It hasn't stopped individual Christians still worshiping God because we don't need a special building. We don't need a building at all. Buildings are nice. They're helpful, but they're just buildings. So what was Jesus saying? Well, simply this. We each need a supernatural change that only the Holy Spirit can bring. We need to worship in the spirit. But we also need to make sure we're worshiping the right thing. We need to worship in truth. We need to worship the truth. Jesus. Everybody worships something or someone. This lady at the well was worshiping physical relationships with men. Nicodemus was worshiping religion. The Samaritans were worshiping what they did not know. They were sincere, but they were sincerely wrong. The Jews worshipped the true God in the temple in Jerusalem, but most of them failed to realize that they needed to worship Jesus, the Messiah, the word made flesh, God become a human being, the son of God. The object of our worship needs to be Jesus because he is the truth, the truth in human form. He is the word made flesh. So to worship God in truth is to worship Jesus. And he is the only one that can truly satisfy our spiritual thirst because he's the living water that gives eternal life. Everybody needs the Holy Spirit to supernaturally change their hearts and everybody needs to worship Jesus, the one who is the way, the truth and the life. And this lady had a life changing encounter with Jesus at Jacob's well. She was beginning to grasp that only Jesus, God come as a human being, could truly satisfy the spiritual thirst in her life. And she was learning that she needed to be born again by the power of the Holy Spirit so that she could live in relationship with God and worship him through Jesus. She'd met God's one and only son and he treated her with love and grace despite the mess she'd made of her life. And he helped her as we've gone through these verses. We've seen Jesus doing this. He'd helped her to see her real need. So what did she do? Then leaving her water jar, the woman went back to the town and said to the people, come and see a man who told me everything I ever did. Could this be the Christ, the Messiah? They came out of the town and made their way towards him. She went to the well to get physical water. But when she left the well, she left her water jar, her bucket behind because she'd found spiritual water. She'd found Jesus. And she left her water jar behind just as she now left her old life behind. And as she went and told the people in the town her story, the people who normally would have nothing to do with her, they were convinced because of her testimony. They couldn't argue with her story. She was clearly a changed woman. And so she brought them to Jesus. 
Verse 39 says, many of the Samaritans from that town believed in him because of the woman's testimony. What was her testimony? He told me everything I ever did. It was because Jesus shone a light into this lady's messy life that she realized who Jesus was. He was the Messiah that could save her. Now, Jesus went on to stay for two days, according to John here, uh, in Sica at the invitation of the people in this town. And in those two days, many more lives were transformed. Look at what verses 41 and 42 says. And because of his words, many more became believers. They said to the woman, we no longer believe just because of what you said. Now we have heard for ourselves and we know this man really is the savior of the world. Now, this lady's life was transformed by what on the surface appeared to be a, a chance encounter with a man at a well as she went to get physical water. But having met with Jesus, she wanted everyone to know about him, even though she was unpopular. She was an outcast where she lived. Now, many of you watching today and listening today have had similar experiences with Jesus, similar encounters with Jesus. And you can testify that he has changed your life and that he is your savior. And if that's the case, then can I encourage you and challenge you to go back to your town, as it were, and tell the people about Jesus? Your story won't be the same as this lady's, but you do have the story of how Jesus has changed your life. And what he's doing in your life today. Never underestimate the power of your story. Tell people how Jesus saved you and tell people what he's doing in your life right now. Send them the link to these online services. Invite them to come and meet with Jesus. Invite them to do Christianity Explored. Give them a Bible. Tell them to read John's Gospel. And like Jesus in this account, we need to see beyond a person's lifestyle or their race, or their politics, or their skin colour, because everyone is the same. We're all made by God. We're all created by God for a relationship with him. We're all the same, and we all need Jesus. The gospel, the good news about Jesus, is for everyone, regardless of who they are, regardless of how they live, because everyone needs a saviour to save them from their sin. If this morning like the woman at the well, like that lady there at the well, or like Nicodemus, you have come to realise that you need to be born again. You need the Lord Jesus to save you, to change you. You have a deep spiritual thirst that you've been trying to fill with all sorts of other things without really realising it. And now you've realised, perhaps this morning for the first time, actually only Jesus can really uh, fulfil that spiritual thirst and that hunger that I have in my life then why not take that step today to come to Jesus and ask him to change your life? Confess your sin to him. Thank him for dying for you on the cross. Ask him to, for, to forgive you and ask him to fill you with his Holy Spirit. And if that's something that you've already done, which is probably the case for most of you today watching, then what steps can you take this week to bring other people, the people of your town, to Jesus? Let's pray. Father, we thank you for Jesus. Thank you that he was prepared and was willing to talk to a lady like this that we've read about today, whose life was a bit messy. Lord, we realise that many of our lives are not what they ought to be. They're messy. And we thank you that our lives can be changed and transformed by you, Lord Jesus. Thank you that lots of us today can, can say that you have changed our lives. You've made an amazing change in our lives. And 
Now we live in relationship with you. Thank you for that. I pray this morning that people, that anybody watching this morning who not experienced that would take that step today and would come to know the Lord Jesus for their saviour too. Well, we thank you. We thank you that we can worship you in the spirit and in truth. Help us to do that today. Help us to do that every day. Help us to live for you, we pray. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen.